This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. For this episode, we're speaking to researcher and analyst Tom Lord. He's going to be talking to us about what is basically a perfect storm of conflict right now occurring in Greece. There has been a hunger strike by a former communist militant. There has been clashes because of that. There's very, very vicious uh, anti-police violence clashes. And there's also been clashes because the government are trying to put security forces into universities where they previously committed massacres. There's a lot going on. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com slash popular front. There's been this situation with the protests uh, for the N17 hunger striker and now there are new police, anti-police protests or anti-police violence protests. I know the kind of right-wing media in Greece is trying to say that the, the both protests are the same thing, but I understand there's a little bit of difference and then there's also a lot of convergence as well. Um, I guess let's just start, you know, the recent wave of clashes in Greece, which have been particularly bad this time around. Maybe let's just start with the N17 stuff, like why do they happen? And it all, it all ties into itself. So for those who aren't familiar, the Revolutionary Organization, 17 November, is uh, categorized as a red terrorist organization. They're a Marxist guerrilla, urban, uh, Marxist-Leninist urban guerrilla outfit uh, that started in 1975. Greece was under a military dictatorship called the Junta from 1967 until 1974. Uh, and then after the return to democracy, um, a, a segment of the student, uh, you know, like radical youth movement, student movement that had protested against the neo-fascist junta, they weren't satisfied with the terms of the new constitution. And they also saw in their, um, you know, kind of the, the, the influence of the foreign finger of the UK and the United States. And so a lot of anti-imperialist, um, anti-colonial left-wing Marxist uh, youth went underground and started forming uh, terrorist outfits or guerrilla, urban guerrilla outfits, however you want to look at them. 17N was the most prolific of them. Uh, their their operational debut was uh, on, on the 23rd of December, 1975. They shot and killed the brand new CIA chief of station, uh, Richard Welch, um, in front of his home and his driver. Uh and and then the group had a couple more operations. The the real meat of their their operational career was in the 1980s. They were extraordinarily active at that time. They had a couple of very high profile attacks in the 1990s, including they fired a mortar round at the U.S. embassy in Athens, which has been a very popular target for Greece's urban guerrillas, especially on the left and the post left. Um, and they were elusive uh, and they, they were so elusive that even among the greek population that had a lot of sympathy for their anti-colonial anti-imperial campaign uh there was a lot of there became a lot of conspiracy theory like they were you know a segment of the population thought that they were being run by the greek or the you know the, the greek intelligence services or the american cia the greek right thought that they were being run by the uh left-wing politician andreas papandreou uh, you know they were very they were very elusive, and then in 2002, uh, on a pretty normal Saturday evening, um, around 10 p.m., uh, you know, as, as Greeks were kind of out dining or repairing to various patios, cafes to hear some music and have a few drinks, a large blast shook the port of Piraeus, just south of Athens. Um, police arrived there and found a badly injured man. Now bombings, as as well as the guerrillas that you know injured themselves, and they're not terribly rare in in athens um but the contents of this back this guy's backpack were certainly interesting he had a couple of hand grenades and a 38 caliber revolver that had been taken from a police officer during his assassination in the 1980s that was claimed by 17n and it looked like finally greek uh intelligence services and greek authorities had a had unmasked and captured a member of 17n um and this man was savas heroes um and whether he was tortured or whether, you know, through various prosecutorial uh, procedures, uh, he gave up He gave up the outfit. Uh, and so 17N's leader um, and founder, uh, Alexandros Giotapoulos, he 
he's somewhat of a legend in the European left. Seventeen N themselves are a legendary group. There is there have been a lot of red terrorist groups in in Europe, none that lasted as long as Seventeen N or had just this like very high profile resume. And we'll get into that if you'd like. But um, really quickly, they're founded by Alexandros Giotopoulos. He was a French-born uh, uh, Greek, um, you know, Marxist Leninist radical. His father was actually. Um, you know, secretary to Leon Trotsky, and then led the uh, Greek Trotskyist party of the Archaeomarxists. He was Dimitris. Um, so you and I, are, are, our conversation is going to center around a figure who became known as the operational chief of 17N, and his name is Dimitris Kufodinas. And that is because up until about seven hours ago, I heard he's ended his hunger strike, but this man was on hunger strike, and he came very close to being the first person to die of a hunger strike in Europe since the provisional IRA leader, Bobby Sands, 1981, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, he wasn't a leader, though. He was just, you know, he, was, he wasn't even that much of a big noise, to be honest. Um, he was the leader of the hunger strikes, I guess, though, yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, in the prison wing. Forgive me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I apologize. And that's not a terribly, that's not a totally accurate statement either, because I, I'm not sure whether it was in European Istanbul or Asian Istanbul, but a couple of Turks have died. A member of the group Yoram, uh, who's uh, they're they're a folk group that's associated with uh, DHKPC, a, a, a communist terrorist group. Um, and then there was a human rights lawyer that also died. But that, so, anyways, Dimitris Kufodinas came very close to being to dying of hunger strike, and he he. He enjoys a tremendous amount of sympathy and popularity with a large segment of the Greek population. He himself didn't actually join 17N until 1983. He moved to Athens. He was born in 1958 in a small village called Terpney up in northern Greece. Uh, and he moved to Athens as a teenager, as a young man. He was about 13 or 14 years old. And he moved there at an extraordinary time. It was in the middle of the junta. And what he saw, um, being a provincial kid and then you know, suddenly urbanized, he saw youth movements, kids his age, rising up um, very bravely against a serious military authoritarian regime um, and disappearing off the streets and you know, getting shot and injured bad things were happening to them. They were being denied careers. It was not a good path, but he was inspired by that. And he was a um, early acolyte of Andreas Papandreou. He was a member of the PASOK. They're a left-wing socialist party in Greece that's become rather centrist as Greek politics go, but, um, uh, and they've dissolved. They've become something else now. But uh, he was a PASOK member. And then in 1983, uh, he... You know, he was at the University of Athens in the 70s, but by 83, he had met like-minded youth who pulled him into 17N. And it was a pretty close group. There were only about 19 members uh, yeah, that, were, that were charged uh, in 2002. Um, and his first operation uh, he w that we know of and that he was charged with, um, this, this tactic will be very familiar to you, but... Um, he was on the rear of a motorbike or driving, and one of his comrades, they followed uh, uh, U.S. Uh, Army Master Sergeant Robert Judd. Um, he was driving from downtown Athens uh, to the uh, air base there outside of, outside of Athens, uh, and they pulled up alongside his, his vehicle, and they shot three times in the vehicle. Um, they hit him once in the lung, once in the wrist, and then the other round embedded itself somewhere in the door. Uh, and he actually managed to drive himself to the airbase, and he was rescued. It was one of the sloppier jobs that 17N ever pulled off. Um, yeah, and then, like I said, in the I mean, the the 80s, they had a they had an insane career that 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 included the targeting of Greek industrialists, Greek uh, newspaper publishers, um, foreign diplomats. They were a really nationalistic uh, uh, group, and for a lot of our generation, this may not make a tremendous amount of sense, but 1970s terrorist organizations in the, uh, were, were very nationalistic. Um, that is, red terrorist organizations. They were very nationalistic. There's also a huge nexus between them and the Palestinian cause. Um, so, so nationalism and left-wing uh, political violence were not mutually exclusive. That's what the left has forgotten now. <laughs> like, if, if you try and be slightly proud of your culture and your people, you know, if, you, if it's not Palestine or somewhere like that, now the left, or at least the European left, will absolutely, you know, scream nationalism at you. But they forget that actually back in them days, it was a big part of, like, leftist causes. I mean, it was more, I would argue that it was more a patriotic thing. It wasn't like, 
you know, nationalism, which in my opinion is like, I love the government and the state here and blah, blah. It was like patriotic, like, you know, we like our people, we like our way of life and we want to live that freely without the state on our neck, you know what I'm saying, or an occupier or whatever. But yeah, it's a very different time. That's beautifully stated. Yeah, so like as the IRA can be thought of as a, as a nationalist group that then adopted, and I'm going to butcher this and you're going to have to correct me, but then like they adopted some left-wing ideologies later on in the mid-20th century um, because, you know, they're ultimately fighting what British occupation for the Greeks, the Greeks have a term that's parakratos, which is, uh, it's like the deep state, but their deep state, they've always, even the craziest groups in Greece have always had the uh, 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 lucidity to recognize, all right, our government are a bunch of bumbling, corrupt fucks, and it's really either the British or the United States later on, or various foreign fingers hovering over our country. You know, prior to that, it would have been Ottoman Turkey that's hovering over our country. They're kind of dictating things here. And so the left-wing uh, guerrilla movement, um, militant movements of the of the late 20th century were very anti-NATO, anti-U.S., um, and you know that that's and they also they're also very anti-Turkish though and here's where it does get a bit here's where it does get a bit nationalistic. So how did the junta fall? Well, the junta lost absolute legitimacy. This is, I guess this would be important for your audience too. Why did why did they decide to name themselves the Revolutionary Organization 17 November? And what is that date about? Well, in on the 17th of, well on the 14th of November 1973 the student movement had risen up against the junta and it was significant and they started to get mass mobilization in the streets of Athens and Thessaloniki and like Patras and big cities like this from regular Greeks, just regular citizens were fed up with the fascism and living under an authoritarian government. They wanted democracy. And it culminated on the night of the 17th when uh, the Athens Polytechnio, which is a campus uh, of, of, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an infamous school now, but the students had, had, occupied the campus and the government's answer was to crash through the gates with a French made AMX 30 main battle tank. And they killed two dozen people, including a young child. It was horrific. Um, and that's where the regime lost legitimacy, but it persisted physically for another year. And they had, they launched a coup in neighboring Cyprus. Um, and they had this Panhellenic policy where they were going to unite the Island with Greece. The Turks lost their shit and invaded with tens of thousands of troops. It was a war in which the Cypriot Greeks, the Greek Cypriots got uh, smashed and then the island was politically bifurcated. Um, and and that's, that's when the regime collapsed. And so they returned to democracy. And this is really significant. The very first party to, to take on the new democratic mandate was called Neo Demokratia or New Democracy, uh, which is the current ruling party. Um, and this is why people are drawing some very erudite connections between the junta and today. And at first, I thought it was rather dramatic, but now I think it's perfectly appropriate comparison. So, what's going on with this hunger strike and Dimitris Kuvodinas? So, the operational leader um, in 2002, after Savasiros bungled that bombing. Well, anyways, I, so really quickly, uh, the group, the organization clearly named themselves after the 17th of November, uh, one year afterwards. So the bombing was bungled by Savas Heroes, and uh, he gives up everyone. And the operational leader, the guy who's been behind planning, targeting, and even carried out a lot of operations himself, including uh, the assassination of, of, of Pavlos Bakoyanis, who is the brother-in-law of the current prime minister and the father of the current mayor of Athens, uh, Dimitris Kuvodinas just comes and turns himself in to the police very coolly in, in Athens. You know, he's like wearing a leather jacket and glasses, and he just walks right into the police station and says, I am Dimitris Kuvodinas, the operational leader of 17N, and I'm here to turn myself in to the police. And he, he took responsibility for all of the crimes for which 17N was accused, but then in the way that ideologues do in court, and I won't get into this because it's a mess, um, there, there was some pretty wild... Uh, anyways, you know, the testimony of, of, of people who commit to this sort of lifestyle um, often defies the procedures that we understand in court and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, the group the group is dismantled, and Kufotinas goes to jail, and he, he's he's sent to Corydalos prison along with nineteen other members. He's given twenty five year sentence on, and on top of that, eleven life sentences, if I'm not mistaken. 
Uh, and for most of that time, 16 years of that period, he, he lives in the basement of an infamous maximum security prison in a suburb of Athens called Korydalos. And the government actually built a wing in the basement just to house members of 17N. They didn't want them liaising with other prisoners or spreading their ideology or anything like that. And it was, I guess the conditions were very rough um, that I couldn't really speak on, but it was a horrible place. And that's where they lived for just 16 years. Well, in, in, in 2015, uh, the um, coalition of the radical left, or Syriza, this is a party in Greece that's made up of like 15 smaller movements, they were given a political mandate. And they led the country until their electoral loss in 2019. And one of the kind of final things that their that the prime minister and leader of that party, Alexis Tsipras, did was he moved Dimitris Kufadinas to a comfier agricultural prison, like a farming prison, um, kind of in the countryside of, of Attica. It was a nice place. He had done this to a lot of convicted uh, left-wing terrorists uh, and then convicted or you know, convicted post-left anarchist terrorists, um, and he was moving them out to kind of these comfier farming prisons. And he had also given—I mean, I think this this will blow some people's mind who are not familiar with the Greek justice system. Dimitris Kouvodinas is is responsible for—I think he has those eleven life sentences because that's how many uh, lives he took according to the. Greek government, like outside of his planning, like he was he was in, involved in operations that took 11 lives. I mean, the guy's killed people, regardless of what your feelings of him are. Uh, and he was granted six furloughs from prison from 2017 to 2019, which means a dude who's charged with one of the highest capital crimes in the state was allowed to like go home, visit family, and kick it for a little bit, which is crazy. That's insane. Um, and it's very much seen, you know, part of part of the dysfunction. Of the very young country of Greece, which is, you know, which only declared its independence uh, exactly 200 years ago, 1821, um, is that it's very clan-based and it's a spoil system democracy, and it's very tit for tat, and um, uh, I guess I guess vengeful. So, so a feature of that is that when the left is in power, those allies of theirs who might be part of the extra parliamentary movement or um uh, you know just the street movement they they will be uh you know their sentence sentences will be reduced or the state will show leniency towards them um while being harsher uh on on the opponents who are charged with the same crimes so like um we saw the very final days of the golden dawn trial play out underneath the series of government while at the same time, a lot of leniency was being given to to members of 17N, and and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to make a false equivocation. Like Golden Dawn is is a neo-Nazi party. They're awful. They're they're a terrorist group in their own right, and like you know, they should they be punished. But it was a weird thing. There was there was uh, uh, I guess I, I don't want to entirely go down that road. But clearly, clearly, there was a lot of favor that was being shown towards 17N, and so we. When this new government was elected, new democracy, um, the retribution against the extra parliamentary left and the left wing street movements in Greece was immediate and it was brutal. Um, it started with the crackdown on squatted buildings, a lot of which are public. But I mean, they, the, the new democracy government, they were elected in July 2019. Um, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, he comes from one of these famous political clans in Greece. Um, as I briefly mentioned, his brother-in-law, Pavlos Bakoyanis, um, who's also the father of, of his nephew and mayor of Athens, uh, was assassinated by 17N for his alleged role in the Bank of Crete scandal, which really pissed off uh, working-class Greeks on the right and the left. Um, the the, the Mitsotakis administration really rode this wave of law and order uh, Paul policy and quite a lot like we had here in the United States as well as various nationalistic causes. So right before a, a year, the summer right before New Democracy in 2018, right before New Democracy was elected, the big hot topic for 
nationalists in Greece was uh, immigration and also the Prejbis Agreement or the naming issue with Northern Macedonia. And I won't get into that because that's a whole other mess. But uh, in 2018, the uh, there was an agreement struck between the Greek government and the government of Macedonia called the Prespa Accord, where now Macedonia is allowed to be called North Macedonia, and that fulfills their accession requirements into NATO, and Greece no longer has a beef with them. What that meant for the country on the streets was ton- like hundreds of thousands of nationalists, far right-wing Greeks, on the streets of Thessaloniki, which is, in, which is the capital of their own province called Macedonia. Yeah. And a segment of this large street demonstration that was pro-Greece, anti-Macedonia, call it anything else other than Macedonia, that is the former republic, they marched down on the streets and they burned down this very old squat uh, called Libertatia, which, it, which was an anarchist squat, and very cruelly, it was a building that had like survived the Nazis, for God's sake, and has a uh, history with the left-wing underground, and it had been, it had been squatted by anarchists since the early 2000s, and then it was burned to the ground, burned to a cinder. And New Democracy, before they got into power, like they said nothing about this. They even kind of quietly applauded this. And then the subsequent summer, as soon as they were elected, very fierce state crackdowns against squats going back to the early 2000s, 2004 in one case, uh, started. And they persisted into this year, even during the pandemic. And so the current government's policy uh, has been like a series of lockdowns. I think Greece is on its fifth COVID-19 related lockdown um, with huge exceptions given to the elite and tourists, etc. Um, whereas just like regular Greeks gathering for any reason, public squares are being beaten and harassed by this infamous police unit that I hope you and I have an opportunity to speak about in a moment. And a quick note on the Greek police, the Hellenic police force is a state-controlled force with a lot of various units, uh, and two, two ubiquitous units are the MAT, a riot unit, um, in green fatigues and like white helmets and shields. They, they just, they're, they're permanently stationed for crowd control. And the other one who we're going to talk about here in just a moment is, is the Delta unit. They're a motorcycle unit. Um, and these fellows have been going around and harassing and beating Greeks all summer, uh, for, for gathering and for violating social distance measures and the lockdowns, and they've been cracking down on squats. And the fucked up thing about this is that in addition to being a pandemic, a lot of these squats hold refugee families and, and are organized into units where you know they're, they're like living spaces for refugee families who created their pandemic bubble in there. And now the police are tossing people out on the streets and fucking that up. So there's been a real retributive policy of neo neo Democratia. And the left and post-left are making the pretty astute analysis that New Democracy was the party that, that took on this janky constitution in 1975 after the junta uh, uh, you know, re- reluctantly uh, gave up power and that new democracy absorbed a lot of uh, the officers and structures responsible for the junta, and that prior to that, it has its its history. Uh, you know, its history goes back to Nazi collaborators during the the Third Reich occupation of Greece. Um, and so, uh, as an immediate policy, as an immediate policy of new democracy in addition to cracking down on the squats and cleaning up the streets of lawlessness as they say and cracking down on the anarchists and the marches which they've absolutely marshaled COVID-19 uh, you know the pandemic uh, they you know to their cause they've, they've, they've used it as other authoritarian governments have to crack down on, on a political assembly and uh, organization um, they also immediately zeroed in on Dimitris Koufodinas, the chief of 17N. Yeah, let, let, let's talk about that now. So, so like you said, they zeroed in on him. This was initially why there were so many clashes, you know, new clashes again recently with all of that as the backdrop, as you've mentioned. He went on a hunger strike. Like, why, why did all this happen? What did they do? Yeah, so, so the new democracy government, uh, they, they passed a law and they said anyone convicted of terrorism charges... They're, they're not only going to be transferred out of these comfy little farm prisons, uh, they're not going back to those places where they got comfortable in Korydalos, which is Dimitris Kufo's demand. No, 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 no. They're going to a brand new maximum security prison that's becoming like a quarantine island for left-wing terrorists called 
Stomakos prison, uh, left wing and post left terrace in Stomakos prison. Not a nice place. Corridalis is a hell place, but you know, if you'd been there for 16 years and you'd kind of like develop the rapport and like a routine and all that, it's your thing. You got it. It's, it's, it's going on. So, um, Dimitris Kovodinos is being transferred out of farm prison to Domokos, and his demand was, no, send me back to Corridalos, to the 17N facility in that basement, my dungeon, and just let me die there. And the new democracy government very cruelly said, no, we're not going to honor your demand. And then the hunger strike began and ran, I think, 68 days until today. So they've, they've basically put him into like a shitty prison and he's gone on a hunger strike. Um, and then we saw this kind of unusual situation for Greece, I think at least, where from what I was seeing on the kind of wire, if you like, like, you know, there were anarchist groups, there were communist groups, post-left, all of these kind of groups were kind of almost had solidarity with each other when usually they fucking hate each other. You know, I was seeing it was like everybody coming out and saying like, right, this guy is on hunger strike. We're all going to fucking clash at the same time sort of thing. That's what it looked like to me. I mean, how did it actually unfold? So there's an re- interesting relationship between Dimitris Kuvodinas and the anarchists. The anarchists are a very big part of the pro- political profile of Greece, and a great deal of them are post-left, though mm-hmm. a lot of them are left-wing anarchists. And they have always, despite the fact that he's a Marxist-Leninist, Dimitris Kuvodinas has had really interesting interviews in jail and prison, as well as communiques and letters that said he would have explored anarchism uh, with some seriousness had that been an available political ideology for him at the time. Mm. Now, Salas Hiros, the guy who bungled the bombing of 17N, as we spoke about in our last conversation, was actually going to collaborate with CCF after he after a prison break, and they were going to bomb a section of Corridalos, and then uh, uh, the post-left anarchist group CCF was going to have him bumped off. But uh, so, so, yeah, so, so, Kuvodinas enjoys tremendous sympathy from a huge segment of Greek society, whether it's from just like your working class, hard hat Greek with some, you know, that votes left or like your under, you know, your student, your underground, you know, guerrilla or just, you know, the students who show up weekly for peaceful demonstrations and, and direct action, things like that. Um, I mean, the guys that he's, he's considered a revolutionary icon in the country, you know, half the country considers him. Uh, a terrorist and the other half considers him a, a revolutionary icon because they, they you know it was really good work by a ethnographer named oh Kirtsolu is her last name and she she was like walking around greece and ac- asking you know she was conducting ethnography on how greeks felt about 9-11 and a really popular response from greeks was it's horrible that three thousand people died however America goes around stirring up all of these places all the time and expects not to get bit. So fuck America. It's terrible that 3,000 people died, but we totally sympathize. The Americans are fuckers. And that was kind of the mood among Greeks. And so uh, 17N was appreciated once they were found out, once they were captured. And it's like, oh, these are real guys and these are and gals. And these are not only real people. These are like fucking simple ass Greeks from like farm villages and shit that dropped out of college. I mean, you know, if they're being supported by left-wing officers in the military or whatever, that's fantastic for them, and it hasn't been found out. But these are like simple, average, working-class Greeks who took a serious swipe at the Americans, the Turks, the newspapers, the industrialists. And here it sounds like I'm romanticizing it, but that was the sentiment in Greece. And so presently, yeah, Greeks on the streets from a huge variety of backgrounds have been protesting. It's not just in Greece. There's been covert bombings in Germany, um, which there's a huge relationship between the German left and post-left and the Greek left and post-left. Mm-hmm. Uh, Italy, Switzerland, the UK. Uh, the US hasn't picked up on it here. I, I don't, you know, whatever our left or post-left are doing, that's their shit. Um, Probably trying to cancel someone. <laughs> so there's been banner drops and, you know, gas canister bombings, uh, yeah. serious attacks on, on um, you know, like Mitsotakis institutions and things like that. Um, and, and, but then there's this other component. So because the junta slaughtered 24 people on the 17th of November, 1973, part of the new constitution was, Hey, police are not allowed to enter Greek university campuses without the express and very rare consent of a university rector. And that never fucking happens. And, and there's some pretty bad stuff that goes on on Greek campuses. I mean, there was a, gal that was found dead on aristotle university thessaloniki campus like od'd and perhaps possibly the victim of some 
other kind of horrific violence that you know I don't want to think about. Um, it, some bad shit happens on Greek campuses, just to, to you know, average folks who are trying to go get an education. But but the Greeks have very good reason not to want the police on their campus anymore. So the the minister of public order, and this is there's so there's so much tying into this. The minister of public order, whose name is Michalos Chrysohidis, he was a member of PESOK, uh, the left-wing group that then challenged new democracy in the 80s and took over. I'm going to fast forward through all this. If people want to look him up, he's really interesting. He, he's, he's known as the terrorist hunter in Greece because when he was the head of the same bureau, which is he's kind of like our district attorney in the United States. I don't know what your equivalent there is in the UK because I'm ignorant. But it was his administration, it was under, under his watch that 17N was brought down. And then directly after, there was a group with more anarchist leanings ideologically called Revolutionary Struggle. Mm. And they yeah. planned some bombings on the Evelpidon complex during the 17N trial. And they also fired an RPG at the U.S. Embassy in 2007 uh, to kind of, I don't know, answer back or one-up the mortar attack on the embassy. Um, so, so Mihalis Kirisokidis was... This is so fascinating, dude. The political, the, the, the ideological opposite of new democracy within the parliamentary structure of, of Greece is, I guess, Syriza, but it always used to be Pesach. Pesach were the socialists. Yet, Dimitri, or excuse me, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, the current prime minister, as soon as he took his mandate in 2019, he named as his head of minister of, his minister of public order, Michalis Chrysohidis. Michalis Chrysohidis, because he had brought down these two terrorist organizations, uh, accepted and then got kicked out of his party. Uh, and Pesach has changed its name to something like the Greek Movement for Progress or something. I haven't caught up. But he got kicked out of the party. So, so this is fascinating. All right, so, uh, so, he, he, so Greek police have been forbidden from entering Greek campuses since 1975 because of the massacre. Now, Mihalis Chrysohidis, who just gave up his left-wing credentials uh and is the new democracy minister of public order he and the minister of education just announced this uh the formation of this new body this is ridiculous it's called the university foundation protection team which it's very soft warning for basically the new cam- the the campus hellenic police unit and the hellenic police have like 19 units and all of them have a very poor reputation so we're going to get to this video in one second. I'm sorry for all this background bullshit, but the, the, the government announces this nonsense. And, and the Greeks rightly see through this. The University of Foundation Protection Team, when your government has slaughtered people on the, in, in a university campus uh, and like you know killed 15-year-old kids, you're like, fuck this. This is no good. I'm mad. So piggybacking off of the mass mobilization of the pro-Kufodinas uh, uh, demonstrations, which had been happening daily... Um, and, and, you know, as, as it reached like the 51st day of Kufodinas' hunger strike and his kidneys started to fail and his body started to toxify, there was just hundreds of thousands, a crush of Greeks in the street from a variety of political backgrounds. And the, the police crackdown on these demonstrations was brutal. And it was all under the auspices of COVID-19. It was absolutely brutal. And this is coming at the same time as the announcement of this, un- this very unpopular bill. So... Just last weekend, last Sunday, I want to say, this this video came out on Twitter. And the Delta unit, who's this motorcycle unit, they ride two per bike, they have white helmets, and then they're in all black, like kind of armor, you know, like plated armor. And, and they cruise about, and, and they're harassing the, the, these, this family in this square in the Nia Smyrni, New Smyrna borough of Athens. And video emerges of them with their collapsible batons just beating the hell out of this lad. He's screaming, it hurts, it hurts, please stop. And like they're landing some bone crackers on this guy. Right, and that, this, guy is, this guy is unarmed. He's just fucking out there. He's not an anarchist. He's not an activist. He's just there, right? He's just trying to like be outside. And the police are just like, nah, bang, like it's terrible. Yeah, it's awful. And there have been a few, like th- that's not the first one too. So like Demetrius Kuvodinas' son was arrested and they were brutal with him, even though he was peacefully protesting from what I saw. Um, and then just a lot of regular like bystanders would just come out in the streets to watch the Kufodinas marches and then cops walking by them en route to engage 
the protesters would just sling a couple shots at people who were just like standing there eating like a croissant or something or having like a frappe. Uh, you know, like I saw him like hit a 65 year old guy in the forearm with a baton who was like, what the fuck? Like he was stunned. Um, and so it's been brutal. And so now the, the demonstrations have turned into largely anti-police demonstrations, right? And what night was it? You got to help me out here because this is all like bleeding into it. Was it Tuesday night when shit hit the fan when it looked like it was like back in 2012? And then like I, I wanted you to go into there's a great little bit on Vice Greece uh, or Vice World, I think, on the hooligan aspect of this. But an anti-police after that lad was beaten and the video hit social media so it happened on the weekend and i think monday it was kicking off and then it carried on into tuesday and i think that's when people really started to take note yes and and shit hit the fan and there was an organized anti-police violent uh, violence demo anti-police brutality demo that marched through the streets but then and this is the interesting bit and i i thought it was just like you know kind of the weird anomalies that come out of the greek street scene but no apparently several rival uh, uh, ultras groups set aside their differences who are rather, I mean, they can be political in Greece, but I think, I think apolitically, they set aside their differences and they said, let's just go fuck up the police. Yeah, well, since, since you were telling me about that, I ended up actually speaking um, to someone kind of associated, and some of them actually were like um, anti-fascist ultras. Now, I had some like American people being like, anti-fascist are like football hooligans. How can it be such a thing? It's like, well, like in Europe, like, you know, our kind of militant leftists are, are fucking like a lot of them are tough guys from rough areas. They're genuinely like about it. You know what I mean? So they're at, it's actually not that rare. Um, there's, there's a lot of them actually across Europe. But these guys like, yeah, like you said, some of them weren't, some of them were. And they, yeah, you're right. They just said, look, fuck it. Let's get together. Let's go and batter the police. And I mean, the footage, I mean, you see that guy fly kicks a police officer off his bike. They're kicking him in the head. Like, you know, they chase off all the police on their bikes with the... Uh, uh, petrol bombs like it was mad like i know people were saying to me oh clashes happen all the time in greece you know that but th- this looked a lot more serious than the kind of weekend clashes you know what i mean I- i've been i've been closely watching political violence and writing about it in greece since 2008 and i that, like outside of 2012 what what happened on like monday or tuesday night was extraordinary that was mm-hmm. nuts man yeah it was serious so basically it's in a situation now where all in the space of like six months, you've got the N17 or this, you know, November 17 um, hunger strike, clashes from that, then clashes from the government trying to put uh, police officers in the universities, which, you know, we know they're not meant to do after they massacred people there. And now there's this anti-police brutality clashes. What do you think is going to happen there? This seems like a perfect storm for like a return to very serious militancy in Greece, at least from what I'm seeing from the outside and, you know, having read a bit about it. So, the, well, the hunger strike began on, on January 8th. And the fact that, that Kufo Dinas uh, stopped the strike today really surprised me. It's not his first hunger strike, uh, and he's wrecked his health pretty badly prior to this. But the way I thought it was going to play out, I have this corny ass term I use called insurgent holidays, where it's like something really like the death of Alexandros Grigoropoulos, a 15 year old boy in Greece in 2008. Uh, every single year that's observed through. You know, peaceful protests and in the evenings, pretty serious levels of violence. The government mm. counts on it. Uh, I thought that's what was going to happen. I thought that I thought that Kufodinos was going to die, um, and that he was going to become a martyr among the post-left and the left-wing culture, and then and, and then they were going to observe it, and there was going to be rage in the streets. <laughs> one thing I want to say, and I know you're on kind of a tight timeline, but one thing I want to say that was really extraordinary about Tuesday night was shocked the hell out of me. And this is a new component, so like one can reasonably predict how the you know what's going to happen on the left and the post left now you know like the hunger strike is over but there's still tons of rage over the university policing bill we got to see how that's going to play out and and the police violence and this is something i want to speak on that i've never seen before in greece the delta unit so that that evening let's say let's agree it was tuesday night might have been monday but let's Mm -hmm. agree it was tuesday night and, and 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 there was a police officer who was knocked off his his motorbike and uh he was knocked unconscious his helmet was removed and this guy was fucked up he, he was really messed up and uh, one way or the other whether he deserved it i don't give a shit there was a human being who was like badly fucked up the guy was messed up and 
his unit, the Delta unit, after that, this is what scared the shit out of me. They were operating beyond command and control. They were they were filmed cruising around Greek streets, screaming, we're going to kill those motherfuckers. They were like not taking orders from higher structures within the Hellenic police department. They were they were just going to apartments from whatever intelligence they had gathered, ripping people out of their homes, arresting neighbors who were filming this, beating the shit out of people. And like the Greek media, 80 percent of which is controlled by the state um, and a huge portion of which is alive with new democracy, was dubbing in and fixing audio. It was crazy. And you as a journalist could speak about like the ethical uh, fuckery and like how crazy that is. But uh, like it was, it was insane. This this Delta unit was operating on the street as a right wing state sponsored gang. So they basically went completely rogue on that night and just started going after everyone. Totally rogue, and they, they it doesn't seem that anyone's reined them in. And I saw that the prime minister was speaking about police reform and body cameras, but like it was terribly shallow, and it doesn't fix the structural problem. What worries me is that like on uh, like in Greece right now, like you're. you're we're creating these like, you know, we're creating these tribes where there's like retributive violence between the two and they just take like, you know, they take events back and forth and they enshrine them. So, you know, now that unit of Delta officers will be like, never forget, you know, the, 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 the day that they, that they, that they hit Stelios in the head with a brick and that they fucked him up and we had to take him to the hospital. We're going to get revenge on those motherfuckers. And then the police will go and beat the shit out of a bunch of innocent people and drag them out of their apartment. And then, you know, working class Greeks will say those motherfuckers, we're going to firebomb a couple squad cars tonight. And it's just tit for tat. And it doesn't seem like anyone's putting any water on it. Man. Yeah, it seems like, you know, one of the most serious situations there's been for a long time. Um, now the, um, the N17 guy has called off his hunger strike. Do you think that might make a difference? That might kind of dampen it a bit? It's weird because the the Greek left and post left were drawing tremendous solidarity capital from a huge section of Europe. I mean, like Germany is super active. They were, you know, in, in Friedrichshain and Kreuzberg neighborhoods of Berlin every single night. There'd be a banner drop. Oh, this is fascinating. Actually, German anarchists uh, busted into the Greek consulate in in Berlin. And went up to the fourth floor and dropped a banner in in solidarity with Kufo. Really? Wow. Um, yeah, man. I mean, there have been some pretty serious fire bombings and attacks on state corporate uh, targets across Europe, and all the claim. I mean, well over a dozen at this point um, since February, and he began to strike on January eighth. All in all, in solidarity with Dimitris Kufodinas. So that's going to calm down a bit. Um, and I suppose it'll be more localized now as Greeks battle it out with the state over this new campus policing bill, which, you know, it doesn't look like there's any give uh, on the end of the government. The, the, the new democracy and Mitsotakis administration um, really has this, you know, uh, solution of just pave over an entire section. I mean, that's like their, their wording. So you, you had a great episode with molly probable that everyone should should check out about just the neighborhood of exarchia and so like the greek governments the, the current government under new democracy their policy is hey we need to build a metro station in exarchia um so the way we get rid of all of these street types and these militants is just pave over the shit you know it's just like a restorative gentrification i guess um is is their their method and that's going to require a tremendous amount of police force and police forces met with extraordinary resistance in Greece. So I don't see this working out. Yeah, and is this centered in Exarchia as it usually is, or is this a bit bigger than that? From what I saw, it seemed to be all over the place. What blew everyone's minds about Tuesday night was Nia Smyrna is a very quiet neighborhood, dude. This kind of shit doesn't go on there. Right, it's in the south of Athens or something, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's like pretty comfy, you know, kind of like bedroom community. It's nice. Mm. You know, you don't you hear about some things in Kipseli, which is really hip uh, and some other areas. But no, this is insane. And there were a lot of just average Greeks, too, during the march before the ultras came out in the streets. And it was like bedlam, like, you you know, you and you and I, when it finally caught our attention, regular Greeks were just on their their balconies and saying, yeah, we're fucking sick of this shit. And every time there's a like Delta unit dragging people out of their apartment for no reason regular greeks will film it they'll come out in their balconies and they'll say fuck you stop this malakis and then the police will go in and arrest them too it's, it's getting really crazy and like i said um like really hesitant 
to make comparisons to today and the junta. People love to think that what we're going through today is as brutal as it was earlier in the 20th century with no real context. But I'd say that comparison is getting more accurate by the day. Yeah, I think the only difference is that it's not like overtly authoritarian in the in the way that the the old the old guard was and also like as many people have not been killed yet you know what i mean but otherwise the, the tactics look the same this is the crazy ass thing about the new democracy government neo democratia and like malik robapel was brilliantly speaking about how uh, the karamanlis and then later on the Mitsotakis families had like absorbed like actual collaborating nazis in their fold um but like new democracy just had such a mickey mouse face i mean Mitsotakis is friends with Tom Hanks, for fuck's sake. They hang out and eat dinner, and it's like, but they're brutal as shit. Mm. They're like corporate fashion. Yeah, um, but, you know, <laughs> they they can say we're friends with celebrities, blah, blah, blah. How how are the people that are, like, not involved with activism and not particularly, like, radical, how are they seeing all this pan out? I know in the media it's very dead set on demonizing all of the activists and praising the brutality of the police. But generally, you know, your average man and woman, how are they kind of seeing this, do you know? I, I have a few Greek friends who are like great cross sections for the average Greeks, like political uh, opinions. And one of whom, when I first met the guy, I was like, so what do you feel about anarchists? Are you one? And he said, I'm too goddamn poor to be an anarchist. You know, he's like, I'm, I'm a poor guy running a shit ass job. I'm a communist. I vote KKE. And that was, so he, he's one of those people I asked about this and he's incredibly critical of a lot of the culture uh, that has come out of the squatted buildings and some sections of Exarchia. And even he though, is in absolute sympathy with them. Uh, I've heard him have critical words about 17N, but he's like, no, our police are running amok. New democracy is clearly showing that they care more about uh, tourists and giving out golden visas to rich foreigners than they do fixing the problems here. We have like 35% unemployment. Uh, Greeks have every reason to be pissed and in the streets. And instead... He had an interesting position, too. This is rather nuanced. He's like, instead, the, they're using the police to crack down on people and get everyone in line with kind of this enforced low quality of life. It, this was an interesting... And he said, he said, if you think about who becomes a Greek police officer, it's someone with some of the fewest opportunities, least access to education, and someone who needs a goddamn guaranteed paycheck. And sometimes the Greek police will be on patrol for like months before receiving a check back pay. And he's like, so they're using the working class with, uh, you know, who have either been forced into the position of being a police officer out of just basic need or have some ideological sympathy towards the state and the Greek nation and, you know, maybe want to crack a few anarchist goals. They're using the working class to crack down on the working class. And they're creating this new strata stratum above it of like foreigners with these golden visas who can live here and have, you know, like pretty much all rights except for that of the vote. I, I read about that. Something like if you, if you buy a house that's like over 300,000 euros, you just become immediately like, you know, you, you get citizenship in Greece and shit. Yes. Yeah. You pour 250 K into the Lovely. country and now you're, now you're a citizen that can't vote <laughs> and you're treated much better than, you know, the police don't come crack down on your shit when you have a 30 person gathering, uh, you know, during Greek Easter. Well, yeah, that, that's one thing I was talking to, um, some of the, I guess, activist type people out there in Exarchia. And they were saying like one of the biggest things that's pissed off just your average citizen in Greece is that the apparently the government got caught like visiting his rich pals and stuff like this whilst everyone else is meant to stay in lockdown or something. Americans will know the Gavin Newsom moment, who's this slick, very handsome governor of California. And he's been so fucking brutal with the COVID shit that even when California's numbers were declining, like small business has been crushed there. And he's just like, you know, authoritarian status. That's very popular, kind of like our version of a Justin Trudeau and Mitsotakis, who's not center right. He's far right. That's, you know, prances about in center right garb. Uh, he also was like, you know, right before the Greek Easter. And you can imagine how important an Orthodox holiday to the Greeks like Greek Easter is. He's like, Sorry, we're going to have to make sacrifices. Everyone fuck off. Don't visit your family. You know, no drinking, no lamb on the spit, none of that. And then, he, like, he had, like, a very lavish holiday of his own and was caught. And so it's the same thing elites are doing all over the place. The Greeks on the left and the post-left absolutely understand the dangers of the pandemic. Uh, 
but they, they rightly point out that the state is using it for its own ends uh, and it's fucking over people on the right and the left. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's kind of a perfect storm for what it sounds like. The one thing that I do think, though, is kind of missing at the minute is the more militant um, side of things, like the urban guerrillas. Now, I know there's a lot of clashes, and I know clashes in Greek and not in Greece. They're not just you know rocks and molotovs they're fucking camping stoves like set up as bombs like the whole thing's mad but still we've not seen like a resurgence of like actual urban guerrillas like ccf or them kind of groups or the fai like do you think we might actually end up seeing like new groups emerge like organized properly armed groups again because it certainly seems to me like the backdrop is almost i don't want to say perfect for it but you know what i mean it does seem like you know the, the perfect storm for it almost I always wish somebody would fill me in. Why is it that those guerrillas of the 1970s and 80s had such incredible technical capabilities in that, I mean, 17N used like remote controlled detonated bombs. If you look at the PIRA stuff, like some of their, um, you know, some, some, some of their, uh, their, their car bombs and shit were incredibly sophisticated. Mm. We know how 17N was able to kill members of the cia there was a huge leak of personnel by by a mole inside you know in our house but in terms of today's today's generation of urban guerrillas first of all they're unorganized so we haven't seen a resurgence of a 17 or excuse me of a ccf or the conspiracies of cells fire a third generation urban guerrilla group post-left anarchist urban guerrilla group kind of anti-civ group um i'll, I'll see attacks all the time that are claimed under names that I never hear again. Like I, I, I saw one that was claimed recently and it was called uh, the kernels of anarcho-communist resistance and cells for the revolution. And then it's like that one name will pop up and it's like a lot of these people are probably operating in and out of the same social circles. They all know each other. They're very close guy, you know, guarded, like, you know, anti-snitch culture, but um there, like, I haven't seen any like a cohesive campaign under a single banner since CCF, and CCF was fascinating because they not only had international support from the FAI in Italy, but then also a Mexican and a Chilean cell of CCF were highly active uh, during the. You know, and I, I didn't. I was too stupid to realize this the last time we spoke. But one of the reasons CCF targeted like like the Mexican embassy during their parcel campaign was parcel bombing campaign was because of their relations with, you know, the Mexican. So I haven't seen that, that um, I have not seen. Okay. This is really interesting. And again, we've come full circle. If everyone is scattered and they're freaked out because the state is, you know, uh, in, in those violent last moments of, of ideological legitimacy where it's just using its police and its military to, just bash everything down and crush everything, uh, then people are kind of scattered and, and, and they're running and, and organization is fucked up. Um, and what we saw with underground movements that popped up first after the junta collapsed and then again, I guess, after the, the, the intensity of the fin uh, economic uh, contagion, you know, financial crisis in Europe, it was kind of after mass mobilization the streets had settled down um, levels of radicalization were, were still high um, and policing was still very repressive so in terms of like a, a sophisticated underground like clandestine um, campaign of political violence I, I, th I think we're in the phase where where folks are thinking about that right now in that country um, and there might, might be some planning and operations but in terms of operational capability, I don't know where they would get that. That was a unique thing about the 70s where a large section of the Army, uh, you know, officer corps, as well as the police might have had left-wing sympathies. But I, I think that those institutions in the Greek state have been kind of run through the sieve since 1975, where if you're a Greek police officer or in the Navy or, or uh, uh, in the Army, um, you're, you're probably pretty nationalistic. And you're probably not piping guns to, you know, post-left anarchists. 
Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I do wonder. Like, I think you know it will come back eventually. I don't know. Like, it just seems there's such a culture of it there. You know what I mean? And there is actually quite a lot of weapons there still, even though the police have you know scooped up a lot of people. But what you said about like these randomly named cells that come out of nowhere, do one event and vanish. Like, they're always attached to like CCF or, or remnants of that or one of the communist militias. Like, you know when the um. When the two, uh, the I think, or maybe three, was it the fascists were like shot dead in the street um, after the uh, after the killing of um, Killer P. Like you know, it was claimed by some random group that had never existed before, and it's like, yeah, they're they're definitely a member of one of the main groups. So that that might that might be operational security. Exactly, uh, like it might be a smart thing to do. Yes, yeah, and, cl- and clearly after after the anti-fascist driver Pavlos Fisas, uh, who was stabbed to death uh, by Yorgos Rupakis. Uh, of Golden Dawn, the, the neo-Nazi party in Greece. Um, yeah, you're right. A, a couple of fellows went by their offices in northern Greece and assassinated, uh, shot dead two Golden Dawn members and wounded another one. And like those were clearly CCF dudes, but they just came out. With, they claimed it with another name, right? Yeah, it was. It was like the revolutionary foot soldiers of something or other. And it was like, yeah, like if there was anyone at that time was going to commit a barefaced murder like that in the street, like it was probably them. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is interesting, definitely, and I think it's it's going to a, like a potentially bad place. Like even I was talking to like Greek friends recently, and they were like, "Oh no, man, like you know, it, it's it's not going to be as bad as you think. It's not that bad yet." And then like within a week, they were like, "Oh shit, actually, I was wrong. Like it it is actually really bad." You know what I mean? So there's a, there's a group called Revolutionary Self Defense, who's one of these underground groups, a cell group, and they actually had a bank robbery last year, and in the middle of the robbery. One member handed off the Kalashnikov to another and in so doing shot him in the foot. Like, you know, he didn't have good, uh, uh, good trigger discipline. Um, and a lot of that group got taken down. But the guy that got shot made it to a safe house, extracted the bullet, and is still somewhere in Greece at a safe house releasing communiques. So the <laughs> point of that anecdote is that, as you said, Greece is flooded with guns. More guns than any other country in the EU, I think. Um, not just because of shit ton of guns came out of collapsed Yugo, but you know, ownership of firearms is, is pretty. It's it's pretty unrestricted for an EU country in Greece. There's a shitload of guns, and then they also have a big smuggling culture because islands and maritime culture, right? Uh, so that lad from Revolutionary Self Defense, which is an anarchist group, post left anarchist group, terrorist group, um, is still about, and so. The police, when they raided all these squats, the Mitsotakis government dumbly thought, oh, we're going to find all the explosive material and all the AKs and shit. Nope, wasn't in the squats. They're in safe houses. Like, do you remember that there was a big weapons bust just a few months ago in Kukaki, and they found, like, plastic explosives? Yeah, in that tunnel, right? Yes, 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 correct. And it was not it was not the DHKPC bit. It, this was a actual Greek outfit. So mm. there are still, like, a number of very serious underground guerrilla groups such as uh, uh, Revolutionary Self-Defense, which is the group I just brought up, uh, that still have access to weapons. I mean, in the Kukaki raid, they found something like 200 uh, 7.62 by 3.9 rounds, but they didn't find any Kalashnikovs. So where are those rifles at? Yeah, yeah, they're out there somewhere, that's for sure. Um, all right, mate. Um, is, is there anything else you want to go over quickly before we uh, before we wrap this one up? I've got to get moving. Yep. No, sir. No, that's that's it, man. I guess I guess the extraordinary thing and why people are so excited about this is that uh, Anglophone Press is not writing about it at all, and there's not been a word about it. And it is kind of a really clean full circle of the country's history with the with the junta from 1974 and new democracy taking on the the metropolitepsy or the, the you know the original democratic mandate now that we're in this new republic of greece uh and then the the the, the hunger strike of kuvodinas and 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 new democracy's response to it i mean it's been it's been incredibly stupid on, on new democracy's part and had had kuvodinas himself not given up the hunger strike which surprised the hell out of me um, I imagined him dying in a hospital, this having been a, a huge 
bungle for the ND government and Greeks, you know, raging in the streets. But uh, no, that's that's all I got, man. We'll see where it goes. Did, did he release any statement when, you know, obviously he's he stopped the hunger strike? Has he said why? I mean, obviously, I guess he doesn't want to die. But like, has he said anything else? Yeah, here we go. Actually, one second. If I if I can if I can keep you for thirty seconds, he said. Uh, let's see. All right, this is this is from Greek press. So forgive me. I already told you eighty percent of it's state press, but this is his quote. Uh, in a statement released to his lawyer, Yona uh, Kortovic, Kufodinas thanked the quote progressive people unquote who showed solidarity in a quote fight against an inhumane power system. He said there are living social forces who resist arbitrariness, violence, and authoritarianism. This gives us hope. Uh, but you know, I mean, the guys just come off 68 days from a fucking hunger strike. I'm surprised he was able to get that out. Yeah, I'm surprised he even lived, man. Um, so he's not really said anything. I guess, uh, I guess we just got to keep an eye on it. Like the whole situation, I, I think you're right with this. Like, I don't see this blowing over, to be honest. I really don't, but I don't know. Let's see what happens. As the police become more militant, and if they don't get checked, and the government continues to allow them to, you know, to run to to operate this way, and they sanction this, I'm sure that a lot of the Greeks who've been in the streets are having a conversation about what the underground looks like. Especially, you know, I'm sure a lot of them have been reading his biography in Greek. I'm sure they've they've been inspired. Some would call that radicalization, but a lot of them are thinking about. Hey, what's that life like? And am I willing to go down that path? I'd imagine that's a serious thing right now. And in terms of the existing infrastructure for the Greek underground, it absolutely exists. And weird little fucking groups that people have never heard of, like revolutionary self-defense, have safe houses and places out there. Um, And so, yes, the infrastructure exists if they want to go that route. Yeah, man. Um, Where can people see your work, follow your, uh, your reporting on Greece? Yeah, I've been publishing stuff in moderndiplomacy.eu here recently on political violence in Greece. Uh, I hope to expand into Turkey. And then on Twitter, I am at PotemkinBrain or the, all one word, wannabe wonk. Thanks, man. It's been cool talking with you. Thank you, mate. Appreciate that. Speak soon. Yes, sir. Later. Cheers, bro. So that was researcher and analyst Tom Lord speaking about the current ongoing uh, political violence in Greece. Definitely keep an eye on it as we were speaking about it. It's really not looking good. Um, If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front and you want us to keep doing it and you want to see more, go to patreon.com slash popular front to support us. Or you can go to popularfront.co slash support. But the Patreon is the best way because you get access to bonus episodes, narrated articles, access to the community Discord, a whole series uh, educating people on how to be a journalist without having to go to J school, uh, early release episodes, all sorts. You get a lot for your money. Patreon.com slash popularfront. This episode was sponsored by Oracle Coffee Shop in Portland, Oregon, USA. They're an independent coffee shop selling only fair trade products. See them at 3875 Southwest Bond Avenue, 97239. The episode was also sponsored by Grind Core House, a pair of independent coffee shops in Philadelphia, USA. One in South, one in West. Check them out on social media at Grind Core House. The episode was also sponsored by Propagandopolis, an outlet selling and informing people about historical conflict propaganda. Get prints at propagandopolis.com and use the code POPULARFRONT10 to get 10% off. Definitely check them out. If you want to support us directly, go to patreon.com slash popularfront, as I said. Uh, if you want to see us on social media, uh, it's uh, at PopularFrontCO on Twitter, at Popular.Front on Instagram, and the YouTube is YouTube.com slash PopularFront. Uh, definitely check out our YouTube, subscribe there. We've got uh, documentaries, our latest one, um, Ghosts of Karabakh, covering the Nagorno-Karabakh slash Artsakh conflict. We went to the front lines to see how the tense ceasefire is faring for the people there in Karabakh. It's not looking good. Unfortunately, um, YouTube, because they're fucking bastards, um, the whole channel is demonetized, has been from day one, so we don't make any money on our documentaries. So you'll see uh, the documentary we made 
Worldwide um, Plastic Defense has 1.6 million views, I think it is now. We didn't make a single penny off of that. We can't make any money off of that because YouTube says no, you're not advertiser friendly. So fuck them, and that's why we do this independently. Um, if you want to support us, do subscribe, do share our documentaries. Our latest doc, the Karabakh doc, has been age restricted after a. Uh, uh, a bot army went after it and tried to get it taken down um, you can guess which countries those bot armies are from but yeah it's age restricted at least they didn't take it down but you know it's it, it, two warnings it fucking gives you two warnings before you can even watch the documentary and at the start of the doc we even say there's you know graphic imagery but whatever but yeah please do share our documentaries uh, it's an uphill battle trying to get them out there uh, if you want to follow me, all my social medias are at Jake underscore Hanrahan, H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. To be honest, these days I'm on social media less and less. I'm really just sick of it all. Um, so if you want to contact me, go to my website, jakehanrahan.com. Try and get hold of me that way. It should be easier. Um, thank you very much to the Hyatt tier Patreons. They are, oh, uh, RX, A Nickel. Manny, Travis Lieberman, Sky Alexander, Cherry, Ben Marshall, Dallas Don, Bandit666, MJ, Kaglitter Vulcan, Meredith Waters, Bethany Swerveland, C. O'Donnell, Adam H., Ryan Barbadillo, Damian Boyd, Larson8669, Bjorn Kirsten, Diamond Steen, Jacob, Michael O'Connor, Taylor Kidd, Zach Picard, Todd Cravens, Alexander, Nicholas Butter, Ron Swanson, JD, Jav, Ian Froese, James Cully, Michael Akakan, uh, Ethan, Fitzmadrid, Joe Watt, Ed Coulthard, Johnny LaFleur, Clayton Taylor, Helen Degenerate, Mike Barone, Liam Williams, Chris Cusimano, Degenerate Zero Alpha, Giorgio Arani, DR, Trey Nance, Amy R, Rubicon, Frank Austin, Amelia Mi, Nawais, Christina Rivetti, Freya Northman, Ali Hunter, Moody Al Rashid, Bill Wilson, Andrew Hurley, Vida Provost, Brian McLaughlin, Tom Lochrin, Young Wasabi, Tony Bin, Adam Bergsnyder, JL, Sebastian, Stephen Davila, Anthony Kabarak, Dan Dunham, Fletcher Tate, Chad Walker, Diana Gorvenek, Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did, Emily Molly, Axel Iverson, Christopher Martin, Ryan Sandercock, and Maurice Zumbul. Thank you all very much. Honestly, like when COVID hit, I thought, oh man, we're going to be fucked here. But everybody on the Patreon has kept it going. And ask anyone on the Patreon, if you're not there, we put the work in. There's so much content there, regularly, regularly updating. I'd say almost every week, to be honest, that this, well, this month it was. Um, but yeah, definitely do check out patreon.com slash popular front. The more we make there, the more popular front everybody gets. And the more you get on the Patreon as well, exclusive stuff. Music in this episode, the intro was by Home and the outro was by Sam Black. Check his music at samblackpf.com. And the sound mixing was done by Thomas Griffin at Splicing Block. Check them out. Uh, splicingblock.com